Hi, uh, I'm Nguyễn Phan Quế Mai. I'm the author of The Mountains Sing. Great to be on your podcast today. Thank you for speaking with me, Ken. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Thank you, G. Um, so what does it mean to be Vietnamese uh, for you nowadays? Being Vietnamese is to write about Vietnam. For the past many years, I have lived outside Vietnam uh, because of my husband's job. We have been living in many countries, you know, Bangladesh, uh, the Philippines, Belgium, and recently Indonesia. And we are moving to Kyrgyzstan this September. So writing about Vietnam is for me, is a way for me to return home. And home is really important for me because, you know, my parents and two brothers still live in Vietnam. All my, my relatives live in Vietnam, except for my husband and two children, you know. Um, so I think being Vietnamese is to, um, for me to speak the language, to embrace the Vietnamese traditions, uh, to, to practice the traditions that my parents have taught me and to pass these traditions and values onto my children and to the younger generation of Vietnamese. That's why I write, you know, recently I wrote about, you know, the joy of um, cooking pho and why it is so important for Vietnamese to eat pho. Pho is like a way you, you, you connect, not, it's not just a food, but it's, it's the way that parents show love to their children by cooking for, you know, for their kids, for example. So I really, um, I really enjoy the ability to pass on these, these values and traditions to my readers through my writing. It's a little bit hard in the beginning to answer that question. And I've noticed that the guests that come from Vietnam and grew up in Vietnam typically don't um, answer that question very naturally and it's simply because you are Vietnamese you you are proud and you are what you are and it's the ones that like you know I'm born here and I always struggle with identity and uh, mm -hmm. so this thought of what does it mean to be Vietnamese is something that's swirling in, 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 in our mind but your answer was so uh, beautiful and eloquent and you know everybody answers that question very differently and so I, I really appreciate you um, taking the time to extend that answer to, to me. <laughs> I really thought I failed in that answer because like I have never thought about what being Vietnamese mean you know I think and also I, I mean to extend it even further I think being Vietnamese is like having the responsibility to build a stronger community of Vietnamese people mm -hmm. inside and outside Vietnam. And I want to think about Vietnam, being Vietnamese as a common identity, you know, whether you are of Vietnamese heritage or not. But I feel like, I mean, I always think about uh, the, the legend, Mẹ Âu Cơ by Cha Lạc Long Quân. So we are Vietnamese people. Uh, you know, we are um, children of one family of the Oka fairy mother and dragon lord father. So we are brothers and sisters. And 
And as brothers and sisters, we have to do more for each other. And that's why, you know, one of the purposes of my creative work is to reach out to Vietnamese wherever, um, you know, the wherever the person is inside Vietnam or outside Vietnam. And I think because we have suffered so much as a community in the past, you know, many historical events have divided us and have traumatized us. And there needs to be a lot of things that we need to do to, to heal each other, to help each other heal and to bring our community together. Gee, I, I have this thought of, of what you just said about the trauma, the pain and the healing of the past. And I don't want to get into the book right now, but I do want to touch up on the subject of something like the mountains sing comes from the trauma, comes from all of the difficulty. Oh, we are living in a period that you can argue that, you know, there's a lot of peace and, you know, especially mm -hmm. in Vietnam. Are we going to be challenged with coming up with beautiful things as well? Because, I mean, in, in its own way, we were gifted with this legacy of, of, of pain and, and, you know, suffering. And beautiful things have come out of our culture as a result of it. But going forward in the next generation and the younger generation with all of the, you know, Internet and social media and economy is, is basically pretty well in Vietnam. Are, are our stories going to be as rich and as beautiful and dynamic as uh, something that you wrote? Um, I think um, there are many different. I mean, that's a, a great question. I mean, you know, like. I remember when I was doing my master's degree, one of my classmates told me, you are lucky you're born in Vietnam because you have a wealth of stories. You have, mm -hmm. you know, you have, you have so many things you can write about, but whereas, you know, from my country, you know, we have been at peace. So there have not been enough conflict for me right. to, 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 kind of uh, to bring out in the, my storytelling. But I don't think that's true. I think you can celebrate life. You can uh, draw out lessons from everyday life. There have been amazing books written about, you know, everyday life. It doesn't have to be wars that, that make, you know, we don't need wars and conflicts to make great stories, right? I mean, I think it's, Great stories are about humanity, about love, compassion, about 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 the long longing for normal life, you know. So so I think, you know, I mean, if I were to write about Vietnam's today, actually my second novel is about the today's Vietnam. You know, it's very different from the mountain thing, but there's still so much there that you can write about, you know. You know, for example, there's a lot of corruption in Vietnam, a lot of, uh, you know, disparity, you know, like um, differences between the rich and the poor, social um, injustices, you know, that we need to talk about, you know. So, I mean, in every society, there are issues, um, whether, um, you know, social issues or, or you know, um, or conflict or trauma, um, 
or, or things that we need to discuss. And and I, I mean, I um I like to write, and you know, I I was thinking the other day, why do I need to write about wars and conflict? Because I cannot help but write. I mean, even though, even though you know the Vietnam War ended more than 45, 46 years ago. But so many people are still inheriting the consequences. You know, I was watching a documentary um, yesterday uh, about Agent Orange, and I was like crying my eyes out. You know, I was I remember the days that I volunteered at, at orphanages in Vietnam, and and those children whom I held in my hands, and they were severely disabled. You know, I mean, we move on and we forget about them. You know, we forget about so many people who who still have Agent Orange, who live with the tremendous consequences of wars, and we keep way waging wars onto each other. I mean, that's the sad things about humanity. You know, we we forget. You know. We forget about the terrible things that, that that we do to each other and and we keep doing that to other countries because we think this is so far away from us it doesn't matter but i mean with with storytelling you know um you know a good story places a reader right into mm. the situation and yes. make them feel it make them be a part of that story make them be a part of that experience so you know they can learn the lesson together with the characters uh you know so that so that they can grow together with the characters and i think as as a writer i don't mean to teach others because as a writer i learned during the process of my own writing you know i wrote the mountain sing out of my need to understand my family's history the history of the vietnamese community and the history of our people you know, it, it has taken us so long and so many years to reach this, the stage where we are. And I mean, there are so many lessons of the past that we need to learn and, and, and we need to share. And there's so many things we need to talk about. You know, I think, you know, I dreamed about having the conversation such as today when I was writing the mountain scene. you know, because when I grew up in Vietnam and I was told that people like you who left Vietnam were traitors, you know, that I would, I should not be speaking with people who have left Vietnam. But I, with this book, I wanted to reach out to the Vietnamese in the diaspora, because I think, you know, there's so many things for us to talk about to help each other heal. Yes. And I, when I first read the first few pages, I was blown away. I, I had never heard of a perspective, a voice from the other side. And I can imagine sort of a, this young girl describing it and just much younger describing her growth. And as I went on through the story, I was very confused. Like, how is the English of this story being told from the other side, from the north? And it's, it was completely foreign to me. I have a cousin. Her name is Joanna Tran. She's a, an aspiring writer. And she said the same thing to me. She said, we never heard this before. And we were both blown away. 
I uh, want to ask you, um, how did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Um, the whole history of, of, of your childhood, can, can we touch upon that? Hmm. So I was born in a small village in the north of Vietnam. My village uh, is called Khương Dụ, uh, a village in, um, in Ninh Bình province in the north of Vietnam. So when I was six years old, uh, because, you know, my village was very poor and frequently devastated by uh, na natural disasters. So my parents, uh, who were both teachers and farmers, decided to uproot our family and moved um, to the south of Vietnam. So I grew up in the rural area as well, in Bac Liu, in the Mekong Delta. Okay, can I so stop I'm, you? Can I stop you mm. right there? What what motivated them to move to the south? And how did they just, I mean, I think in, back in those days, it's not easy to move your family from the north to the south, right? Mm. You know, I mean, um, so my father was sent to the South first as a teacher. Mm. So, you know, after the war, the government wanted to, um, you know, revamp the education system in the South. So they, they moved, they sent a lot of teachers from the North. So my, my father was one of the teachers being sent in the South. Um, so when, when it was his time to return to our family, he realized that in the South, you know, um, there, uh, you know, nature was better. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, you could, I mean, you could grow rice more easily. And um, he, and, you know, he told us nobody he knew at our village could enter university. So his dream was for all of his three children to go to university. So, you know, he, he thought that, you know, we had to move away from our small village for us to have a better chance of education. And we were starving in, in our village, you know, there, there was very little things to eat. So in the South, you know, I remember going to Bakliu, arriving, and it was raining, and there was fish jumping out of the pond, you know. And I remember, you know, go, uh, running out, of, uh, out to the rice fields with my brother carrying, you know, tin buckets. And we were catching, you know, mud crab, you know, when it was raining, you know, there were fish. So, you know, the natural resources in Bakliu were abundant, you know. The, the soil was so mm -hmm. rich. Uh, because it was it was a new land that, that was, you know, like people had expanded into the sea. So it was quite fertile. So it was easy to grow fruit and rice. And, uh, you know, it was easy to catch fish. And this is how we survived. I, how we survived growing up, you know, on we depended on agriculture because even though my parents worked as teachers, their, their salaries were hardly anything, you know. Like I think, you know, they said, uh, yeah, so they had to do a lot of farming to be able for us to to survive because their salary was really small, and and so we had to do so many things to survive. And I grew up, you know, at that time I had to be a street seller as well. Wow. I, I sold I sold cigarettes on the street. I sold vegetables in the market. All of us. It was like in the we moved to the south in 1978, right? And I mean, around us, you know, there were people fleeing on boat. You know, Bakliu was the hotspot right. for people to uh, to go to flee 
as both people. And my friends would some of my friends would disappear from their classes. But you know, we did not think about leaving because I mean, we we had been traumatized enough with our move. You know, we felt like we were refugee in in the south because like, you know, I mean. Coming from the north, being in Bakli wasn't easy. You know, I mean, I were I was discriminated against. I was bullied, and I didn't understand why until many years later. And I think that made me into a uh, that made me into a writer because right. I was curious about the reasons why people resented us. Uh, why you know uh, why people were fleeing our country and why. Uh, why why some people lost their houses because their assets were being nationalized so growing growing up at that time in Vietnam they, I was surrounded by incredible stories you know did, did you ever yeah. get to ask your mom and dad um, at that time I think you were very young still but did you ever get to have a conversation like why are we being discriminated against or did you just kind of figure it out eventually you know, I mean, I remember my, um, we went to the South with my grandpa. And the first evening we sat down to dinner, there were rocks being thrown onto the roof of our house. And we had a tin roof and it exploded like bombs. And the next day I took, a, I went for a walk with my grandpa and then we were walking on the street and people, you know, started calling us names like Paki, uh, Northerners, they eat water spinach, they are stubborn as buffalo, buffalo. you know. Um, it was really like, we were shocked and my grandpa was so upset because like he was, so, we, so, we were so excited, you know, to explore the South, to make new friends. And suddenly we were hit with discrimination, with bullies. So he was devastated and he didn't make any friends. And, mm. and you know, he, and then he left, he went back to the North, he couldn't stay. And I remember, I tell you one story. I remember uh, one day I was, uh, at that time, there were a lot of suicides around me. I remember going to school one day, there was a woman who hung herself on a tree branch because two of her uh, sons did not return from the war. So she kept waiting, waiting, and she killed herself because she couldn't wait anymore. And one day I I was at home cooking and then I heard I heard a commotion and I ran out. You know, a woman had jumped into a back of a truck because um, her brother, she came from the north and she wanted to go home because she didn't, she couldn't put up with all the bullies and with all the discrimination and and she wanted to go home to the north and then the the brother did not want him to go the brother her brother did not want did not let her go back home so she she killed herself she jumped into uh, the back of the truck and i remember still how how her her brother reacted you know he he ran to the scene he was calling her name he was like oh i don't know how he could survive after that but i mean you know 
later on, I discovered about re-education camps. I discovered about the nationalization of assets of the South, about the discriminations faced by Southerners and why they had to leave the leave, you know, our town to risk their lives and become both people. So you know, um, it was it was a very difficult and painful time to grow up in, and um, I don't know. It was it was devastating. I mean, you know, on top of that, we had because of the economic difficulties. You know, my my parents were fight fighting all the time. You know, they it was very difficult. I I, I don't know how I survived that time. You know. Um, at that time, I every day I woke up at four o'clock to go and catch shrimp in the corn of our neighborhood, because you know I had to help our family and and it was, I mean we had we had so many uh, issues, but I I think you know that made me realize that I had to escape poverty, I had to escape back Leo, you know, and to do that. I had to study because study was my own way, was my only way out. You know, when when I think of Baklu and somebody who's in your position, who's traveled around the world, and it's a very very different place. But but not only that, I understand that being a foreigner, you're basically a foreigner in Baklu, and mm. Vietnam is very different from region to region. It's. Uh, Baklu is, is 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 basically like another country from the north that the the, the city uh, my mother wasn't born uh, was born not too far from where you were born uh, in the north mm -hmm. um, so did you ever reconcile um, sort of your thinking as you were growing up did you ever make friends with the community in Baklu and and connect mm -hmm. with people that you grew up around yeah I mean I, I think I I was only able to write the mountain thing because I reconciled with those who bullied me, you know, because to reconcile with them, I realized what the North did to the South, right? Uh. Uh, you know, I, I realized, for example, uh, you know, uh, many people lost their job because the government brought their own people from North Vietnam to South Vietnam. So the Southerners saw us as invaders. Right. So, so that's why they resented us. But it took me many years to understand that. And it took me, uh, you know, like, I remember I made friends with someone whose father uh, was sent to re-education camps for so many years. And he, you know, because he did not return for so many years. So she grew up with our father and she, she used to tell me about her sadness. And I was thinking, why do we Vietnamese do such things for each, uh, against each other, you know? And then I met, I met families who had family members uh, fighting against each other, brothers and sisters against each other. So, you know, I, I understood much more. And I think because, you know, I loved, um, as a child, I loved to read and I wanted to be a writer. So that's why I love talking to people and to listen to their stories. And at that time already, you know, I, 
um, I kept diary. So I wrote there, you know, I wrote onto my, my diaries accounts of people whom I talked to. And, and I felt like, you know, who, uh, whatever side uh, they were on, everyone was losing so much, you know. And later on, I would learn the, the poetry of Nguyễn Duy, who said, Nói cho cùng trong mỗi cuộc chiến tranh, phe nào thắng thì nhân dân đều bại. Um, um, in each and every war, whoever wins, the people always lose. It's a sad fact. But what emerges from uh, the war during that time and your voice, what I'm very curious about, and I was curious throughout the whole book, is how did you figure out the empathetic sort of the voice, the the, the voice of compassion for both viewpoints. How did you come up with that? How did you not take one side? And as a young person, I mean, it sounds like you, you step back and you're doing your journal entries, but what was the sort of the, what do you think inspired uh, such an empathetic viewpoint? Um, I was um, saying about my, my, my learning process as, as a person when I write. Because when you write, you learn so much about yourself. You reflect about your values, uh, your mission in life. And, and, and I think I discovered my mission in life, uh, you know, that I want to talk about peace. I write about wars and conflict, but I want to talk about peace because I, I realized how valuable peace is to all of us. You know, all of us want to have a normal day with our family. When we want to cook, when we can cook and, and eat and sing and dance, everybody wants that. Nobody wants to have bombs being dropped onto their head. And I think if people participate in wars and conflict, they have their, their reasons. And, you know, and I think that's the thing about the complexity of human beings. You know, we make mistakes, but even the most evil person has, has their good sides, you know. They have love and compassion inside of them. And, and I think I wouldn't have been able to write the mountain scene not growing up in both the north and the south of Vietnam. Not growing up with the most desperate group of people, with the poorest, you know, with the victims of the war of all sides, you know. Um, I mean, I volunteered for many years, you know, uh, in orphanages, in hospitals, working with, with patients of um, patients who have cancer because of Agent Orange. And, um, you know, I, I work with, with uh, victims of, of wars and uh, veterans, you know, Vietnamese veterans and American veterans as well. I translated a lot of their creative work as well. So I've learned a lot about compassion and empathy you know uh through to to these years and i and i don't know i just i'm just fed up with wars and conflicts i remember when i was eight years old i was standing uh on 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 my uh neighborhood road and i was looking around me right i was looking at the people who, who had you have had lost their arms and legs people who had lost their family members and i was telling myself the human race would not be so stupid as to um, to wage another war on earth. 
I was a young child, but I was so, so sure, you know? And later on, I grew up and I knew that I was naive, you know? So, I mean, I wanted, I, I wrote this book as a, as a call for peace, you know, as a call for humans to love each humans more. And I mean, it was my attempt to include the voices of people on both sides of the conflict, you know? I think I, I, I put Vietnamese people in the center of the story in the mountain scene because a lot have been uh, written about the American experiences, right? right? And normally, you know, Hollywood movies or fiction in English about Vietnam by Westerners use Vietnamese as backgrounds to the American stories. And I want to write against that. I want to put us in the center of the story. And I, and I wanted to include the voices of people who fought from different sides, you know, and present the humanity. Because I think the danger with war is that you de dehumanize the other side. So it's easy to kill them. It's easy, you know, to to say that they are evil, and it's easy to um, brush their stories aside. And I believe if if we read each other's story, there would be much more empathy and compassion, right? And if if we read, if all nations, if all polit uh, politicians read, you know, stories from countries around the world, you know, there would be less wars, there would be more peace, there would be more willingness to have dialogues with each other rather than pick up the weapons, pick up, you know, and, and, and drop bombs onto other people's heads. Because before you do that, you think about them as human beings, as those who have parents, as those who have children, yes. as those who are similar to you than different. Um, then uh, from you. Th this is how conditioned we are. Um, when I, again, first chapter, second chapter, I was still in the mindset of who is this writer? Where is she writing from? I mean, this is before we made contact, you and I. I, I didn't know anything. I uh, A few people had recommended online. Uh, I would see people's Facebook posts uh, raving about the book. I knew nothing about it. Uh, so I, I, I began to read a few chapters. This is how conditioned I am. I wanted to pick a side. Where is this writer writing from? Who is she writing from the north? Is she writing from the south? But the English was so concise and the descriptions were so vivid for Vietnam, but in the the back in the early days in the early days of the war. So I was so confused and now that I think about my experience of reading the book, I I realized maybe it was a third of the way through that I had to release my viewpoint. I had to let go and say, okay, surrender what your emotional um, experience is uh, going into the next few chapters to finish the book and just experience the the humanity of the story. And it wasn't until then that, and then obviously when you get to the end, you're just like, oh my God. As I'm hearing your story, I think you're the only probably one that could have taken that sort of that, you know, especially being a, a little girl from the North coming into Bac Liu, I can see why this book, uh, it's just genetically in your DNA now, it, it just comes out of you because of the the, the experience. Hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, 
I wanted to write a, a story uh, from a, uh, you know, from the perspective of a northern family because one of the historical events that divides Vietnam and our community is the land reform. And you, if you reflect on the history of Vietnam, so many families had to flee northern Vietnam to go to the south. Right. And many members of such families ended up fighting against the north. You know, I think that that's the root war. You know, the land reform is one of the root causes of the war and of the resentment of the conflict within our community. And, you know, so that's why I, I had no choice but to to write uh, about that. And, 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 and I think, you know, I mean, it's natural, you know, for non-Vietnamese, you know, they don't think about Vietnamese being northerners and southerners. But for Vietnamese people, that's one of the first things that we think about, right? Whether the person is from the north or the south, whether the person is communist or non-communist. Right. You know, I, I, with my book, I wanted to blur all the borders. I want us to, to be Vietnamese, you know, in the one common sense, the one Vietnam, you know, I, I um, you know, I mean, my my biggest wish is to bring us together so that one day we don't have to think about the side of the person we are talking to, you know, that we, uh, we, we consider ourselves being equal, you know, and, and that we are open to each other's stories. And I mean, you know, to write this book was a challenge for myself because I grew up being told I should not be open to stories of the people from the south of Vietnam because, you know, they wow. are my enemy, you know? So, I mean, this book was a challenge to write and I knew it would be a challenge for people to read. And I had no idea how the Vietnamese in America would react to the book. You know, I had no idea. So I was I was nervous as well. I remember, you know, Viet Thanh Nguyen, the author of The Sympathizer and his Divan Network invited me to the US and it was my first um, writing residency, you know, in California. And we had a, a dialogue at the San Jose Arts Museum. The night before the event, I dreamt that people demonstrated. <laughs> I dreamt that, you know, people were uh, throwing rotten tomatoes at us because, you know, I have in the past, I have been told that I, because I was born in Vietnam and because I'm a Vietnamese national, I must be a communist, you know. And and I remember once I visited uh, one poet in in Orange County, and then after you know it, it you know he, we 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 um after speaking with him for a while, he told me he had a phone call the night before from another a writer who told her who told him don't speak with her she's a communist you know uh so there's so much division still within our community and and and, and i think it's very difficult for us to to come together but we need to not only is your book uh it's revolutionary but it wouldn't have been able to come out uh 10 years ago 15 years ago and certainly somebody from my background wouldn't be able to sit here and talk to somebody of your background and get away with it. 
right? <laughs> we no, I, I I didn't expect that. so. That, I mean, you know, I have had um, book clubs with Vietnamese Americans, and like, I thought I was dreaming hmm. because I didn't think it was possible. But so I'm really grateful how open-minded the younger generation is. You know, and 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 people say, you know, it's important that we learn, we we learn history of our communities. We learn about the good, the root causes our of our pain and of our trauma. You know, when I first started this podcast, um, a wonderful uh, television station owner said to me, "Just remember, you can talk about whatever you need to talk about on all the sides, but don't forget the pain that." the previous generation had had gone through don't forget about it don't discount the pain and that's always stuck with me because i never experienced the pain the direct pain i was never in a war situation i heard it from my mom and dad's relatives but it was never a direct uh, i was never a direct witness to it and some of them got locked up for many years uh, in re-education camps and but this was all because they didn't listen to my father my father said you need to get out i have the means for you to get out none of those guys wanted to leave power behind and you know i i'll be honest i always had this sort of closeted feeling about the guys that you know wanted to stay behind and didn't and this was just three or four men in my family that held positions of you know high officers and is that your fault or my our fault like it's not my fault it's not my pain but as i began the journey of unpacking this stuff i realized that we have to talk about it we have to figure out a way to talk and maybe we don't do reconciliation talk but maybe we can just talk around the humanity and that's why i have so much appreciation for for the work that you you've done how did you get out of baklu so, um, um, I mean, I um, luckily I passed the entrance exam to university. So I um, so I studied my first year at Foreign Trade University in Ho Chi Minh City. Um, and after that, I I studied so hard because like out of my um, there were very few scholarships being offered. Otherwise, we we would have to pay a lot of fees. And my parents like had no money at that time. So I studied like crazy <laughs> and I ended up being a top student. Mm. And then I got a scholarship to study in Australia and my life was changed, you know, wow. thanks to that scholarship. And in Australia, I was able to make friends with Vietnamese Australians. You know, I, I remember meeting, you know, um, a Vietnamese man who arrived in Australia, uh, you know, on a boat. And, and he told me, you know, when he was in the middle of the sea, everything was purple. Everything was purple. And he kept saying everything was purple. And there was such pain in his eyes. And he was in his 50s, but he was still going to university because he said, I never had a chance to study, so I want to study. So he was, you know, um, you know, still doing his bachelor degree. And he was so determined to make a life in Australia. 
And I think I had so many conversations with veterans at that time, with Vietnamese, uh, Australians, and I started, you know, like the, the, you know, Australia also had a lot of, um, you know, um, difficult things happening to to their people in the past. For example, the Aboriginals, how they were, uh, you know, um, wiped out. The Just like the Indians. Wiped yeah uh, yeah they were wiped out or or their children were put you, you know were put up for adoption taken away from their parents but australia you know acknowledged their mistakes and i remember going to all of these museum exhibits and learning about the past mistakes you know of what happened to to the community so i was thinking maybe one day you know vietnam could do that vietnam could be could be acknowledging our mistakes and and talking about them openly and offering the apologies to to the people you know so i was i was like thinking about that the ethics of remembering i was thinking about about the, the, the act of honoring the past and the lessons of the past. So when I went back to Vietnam, you know, I, I started spending a lot of time in my parents' villages, you know. I love talking to the elderly. And I was thinking they have so much history inside of them. And if I did not write them down, it would be mm -hmm. forgotten and I would be the guilty one you know yes i mean because they they, they were no museum exhibits for their stories i felt like i had to retain i had to 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 document some of their stories somehow so you know the mountain thing you know is the result of so many conversations i i had with people throughout my life from my childhood into adulthood and and you know i mean there are just so many things that are fictionalized from real life events and 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 i don't know you know during the seven years writing it there were times that I felt overwhelmed. I felt like I wasn't able, I wasn't capable of, of meeting my responsibility as a writer of honoring the stories people had told me. But you know, then, and I think uh, my, my writing teacher, Sarah Maitland told me, I was doing a master's degree at that time and I wrote this novel as part of my master's degree. And my writing teacher told me, trust the power of your inner mind, you know, let your characters take you where they want to go. So, you know, and I think the job as a, as a novelist is like to plant a tree. Right. The, all, the, all of the research you do sets the foundation for your garden, but then, as, as a creator, you have to plant your tree with your imagination, with your plot, with, with your characters, with the setting, you grow the trunk and the branches of the tree. And I think later on, the reader's experiences, the reader's interactions with your work will produce the, the fruit and the flowers to the tree. And you, you, you talk about the, the, the difficulties you experience when you read my novel. My novel is not an easy read, you know, you know, it's a challenging read. And, uh, and, and I think I am grateful to readers because when you read the mountain thing, you need to be willing to become vulnerable. You know, you you experience the you feel the pain that my characters feel. 
right? You feel vulnerable with them. You let me take you to to the darkest places so that you can see light. And and, and I think that's that's an act of courage as well. And and I I challenge the readers a lot through this book. For example, you know, I use the Vietnamese dear critics, you know, in all of my characters' names. So for non-Vietnamese readers, it's challenging to them. So it's yes. amazing that that they accept that challenge. Um, I'm looking for this um, this line. I'm sorry here. Thank you for all the work that you have done to prepare for this conversation. <laughs> it, I really appreciate it. It is my my pleasure. I agonized over the deaths. A man so shy he hadn't even held a girl's hand yet. That was so beautiful because of the way you saw these characters and um, so shy he hadn't even held a girl's hand yet. Uh, you know, as a as a young man growing up, I, I, and be, especially in being in Vietnam and in Asia, uh, we are not uh, like you know Americans. We're not, we don't, you know, we're not assertive, and we're things are just very tamong. They're very romantic and very subtle, mm -hmm. and to have that, um, you know, there's many instances of of you writing things like that from not from a a, a perspective of uh, of a woman, but of a man like understanding mm -hmm. that like how did you figure that out you know when you read that sentence and i had no idea you were going to read that out loud i felt such pain because i i reflect on so many young lives being lost in the vietnam war you know three million vietnamese people died three million many of them young men and young women and they did not have a chance to yes. have to to experience first love right and and it, it is so sad and you know when i wrote about this i wrote this book i thought about their dreams and hope and and all of the aspiration they had you know they they didn't have a chance and in a way i feel like it's our responsibility to live their dreams you know mm -hmm. to love hard to laugh hard to live experience everything in the fullest because we owe it to them we owe it to so many people who died so that we can live and and you know um I don't know, you know, like I wrote a poem that said, with each step that I blazed on my country, how many oceans of tears will I step on? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, because so many people have lost their lives and their grace haven't been found. Right? And, and, and it, somehow, you know, because maybe because you um because i grew up from inside vietnam and i came into direct contact with so many with so many people who lost their loved ones and you know thinking about the, the mother who hung herself on the tree branches her children were so so young right and 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 i don't know i, I mean you know i cry so much writing the mountain sing. I mean, each of the characters was alive in me. They were so alive. They were so real. Mm -hmm. 
they were so real because they um i had known them from the stories that people had told them right i had known them through the faces of their parents of their brothers and sisters you know so they were so real to me and i i realized i was writing about real life in this book i i wasn't i mean it was a work of fiction but it was built on the foundation of so many stories of so many emotions and i think that's the thing about real life research because you get the emotions you know yeah and 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 so i remember vividly you know um every line i have written in this book so when you read that line i was like i felt such pain because i felt the loss once again you know uh, another uh, brilliant line is perhaps it was my sympathy for my enemy that saved me that's from um hung guava's mm -hmm. uncle as he recalled the horrors of the, of the war what are these just lines that just come out you're just typing and it just comes out or they're they're snippets of lines that are because it's like a very i mean i, I hate to just reduce it to saying it's a deep mm. thought but it is a very deep thought that shows the compassion that we need to live as humans and and really to reconcile and have a better society that line didn't come up during the first few drafts of the of, of this of the manuscript i mean i worked on the novel for seven years and i revised it hundreds mm -hmm. of times and i think you know um uncle dad said that because like he he was looking at the um, uh, at the um, at the enemy with empathy I, I think I was able to write that after many conversations with veterans, you know, mm. because um, when I was in Vietnam, I um, I translated for many conferences and conversations among veterans. And, you know, veterans could tell, tell each other stories of how they spare each other's life. Wow. You know, like um, I'm a friend with Bruce Weigel and he, I translated his poetry into Vietnamese and he helped me translate my book of poem, The Secret of, of Hoa Sen into, in, into English. And, you know, I translated for his conversation with, uh, with, with veterans, including Bao Ning, who wrote The Sorrow of War. And, you know, the man was just saying, you know, Bruce, we Bruce Weigel was telling them one day he was in the jungle at night and then he 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 you know he he stumbled upon a, Viet, a northern vietnamese soldier so they were just like standing there pointing their rifle at each other and you know they just looked at each other and if one of them you know shot first both of them would have died so they just decide at that time someone something told them they decided to lower their weapon at the same time and they walked away from each other. Wow. They walked away from each other. You know, I mean, incredible things like that happen, you know, in, in war. So that's why I was able to, you know, to write the uh, uh, Uncle Dad stories. And one of my friends told me, you know, um, he, he's a veteran. Uh, fighting for the northern Vietnamese army and he told me he used to steal canned food from you know American soldiers to be able to survive 
you know he uh, he stole a lot of canned food and he said he he could steal some you know medicines and he couldn't read english so they didn't know what what medicine it was so he threw them away but they knew what food uh, you know i mean they they said it was the enemy's food that saved him you know um so you know i think um to write uncle dad's journey i interviewed so many veterans um my parents have read everything i have written in vietnamese <laughs> you know so i think in vietnam so i i write uh, for newspapers in vietnam and i write for uh newspapers that my parents subscribe to because like i wanted them to be the first who read what i write in vietnamese so with this book because it's in english they haven't been able to read the entire story but i have been uh, i have been telling them about you know um, the content of the story or the the readers reactions to it and i have been interviewed in vietnam and they have been reviewed in vietnamese so they they have been able to read that as well so i i dream that one day this book can be published in vietnamese in vietnam so my family can read it um my 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 two brothers can can read uh, can read english and they have a copy of the book you say one day uh, you hope that this will be translated into Vietnamese and you know uh, distributed in Vietnam, right? What what's stopping that from happening? So at the moment, um, so at first I thought I would be the one who translate the book into Vietnamese, right? Because I'm a translator myself, and I feel like you know I would be able to capture the heart of this novel and maybe to rewrite it in Vietnamese even. But I've been so busy working on my second novel that I put off no. the task of translating. But recently, you know, um, a reader from Hanoi contacted me. Several readers actually they wanted to translate the book, and one person went ahead with translating several chapters. So um, she she's not she's she's a professional interpreter, and um, so um, she hasn't translated a literary work before, but she did a, an amazing job. So I sent it uh, to one of the publishers who have who I mean several publishers have asked me for the rights to 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 translate this into Vietnamese. So I I send the translation to one of the publishers. So I don't know whether this could be published because I mean publishing in Vietnam is tricky. Um, right. You know, as you may know, the sympathizer in Vietnamese is very successful, translated into so many different languages, but it has not been able to be published in Vietnam yet. So I'm I'm talking with an editor, trying to persuade her to to you know publish the book because it's it's really important and and. I mean, you know, I would love for Vietnamese readers to be able to enjoy Vietnamese talent. If somebody said to me, "Hey, you need to read The Mountain Sing and watch this podcast before you do it," and you kind of, you know, prepare yourself for what, you know, in 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 thinking that along the lines, do you feel like the Vietnamese uh, will feel the same way, uh, sort of a reverse reaction, uh, the way? A Vietnamese American uh, felt in the first few chapters, or or do they f might feel the same way towards the end? Do you think there's a sort of reverse? Maybe, maybe uh, 
it will be a reverse reaction because right. like they in Vietnam people are more familiar with stories from North Vietnam right because more more stories from North Vietnam are taught in textbooks uh, you know the northern uh, perspective and in the end of the book like I present you know uh, stories from from someone who fights against the north you know and so um so I so I think I was I was also very curious about about the reaction of readers in Vietnam and and you know thankfully the the reviews have been really positive and I, you know like the person who translated my book um it was her daughter who brought the book home wow. and told her to read it because the teacher um you know is teaching the book at school you know her daughter goes to an international school in hanoi so you know and 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 the daughter uh, so so the the translator told me she was curious because the daughter was like reading it, staying up at night reading it. And, and then she said, go to bed. And the daughter said, no, 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 I cannot go to bed. I have to, I have to finish this book and you need to read it. So, you know, many parents contacted me because they, their children, you know, asked them to read the book and, and, and the reactions has just been amazing. Blood evolves and can change too. And I'm not going to give away I'm not going to give away in what context that was because it might give away the the whole story. But that line, blood evolves and can change too. And that line just really uh, brought and connected all the story points together. Uh, after you uh, have read all the chapters and it kind of winds down and the character yeah. says this, blood evolves and can change too. But the evolution of blood, it's such a mind-blowing thought and, and the way you wrote that is and the way it was packaged and, and the way it was delivered uh, thank you for for writing that and and allowing the world the vietnamese americans or diaspora or people in vietnam to to think about that you know i i think when i was uh, writing that i thought about the the younger generations of vietnam and how we can help each other heal and how we can bring our community together because like if you listen to the stories of the younger of the older generation because they suffer so much loss directly so the concept of forgiveness is so difficult it really is it's really difficult it is so difficult so you know we are the younger younger generation we we will revolve and we will change and we will bring changes to our whole community you know and 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 i have hope for the younger generation and um and i don't know and i really appreciate you noticing you know these small lines because my my job as a poet you know i love poetry so i love to condense messages into into you know short lines into i sneak poetry into my writing mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the reason i wrote the novel because you know not many people were reading poetry so i said i have to write a novel <laughs> right. uh, uh, so i can sneak poetry into it but but you know um i i i think you know um it, it's really i really appreciate you paying close attention to 
to my writing because it took seven years, right? And, and this book, people can rush through it in one or two days. But I think I want people to take, take time and reflect on the messages that I want, that I, you know, I weave into the story and, and understand and reflect deeply on their experiences as well as they read. Well, you and I had a conversation about um, about writing uh, on, on our pre-interview, and we talked about the birth of the ending of this story. That line, <laughs> the uh, blood evolves and can change too, uh, I hope that teases the readers or potential readers to really pick up the book to, to hear what, what I'm talking about, what I'm addressing here. But can you talk a little bit about the evolution of that ending because this is not something by design right you you, you mentioned that no I mean um so there are two types of writers you know those who who plot who plan the the plot of their novel from the beginning and those who don't if for me you know when I write um I don't know where my story is heading um, you know, both of my novels have worked out that way and has taken a lot of time to write because I don't plan. But by not planning, I experience the magic mm -hmm. when I write. So I think uh, I think the ending the ending of of the novel uh, was discovered after many many drafts. And one day, you know, when I discovered that, I'm like, wow, you know, this is the ending when you know the ending when you have an, an ending that you feel i mean it it is like uh, i don't know you just know it in your gut that this is the right ending and i think this is you know in a way it brings the story together and i i had no idea and and, and i think i had my ancestors blessings when i wrote this book because otherwise i couldn't have been able to write it, it was a very i mean I mean, I decided to map out, you know, Vietnamese uh, 20th century history in this novel through four generations of a family. So there are many characters, many events. How do I connect the dot? How do I bring the story together to highlight the message that I want to convey? So I had no idea. I mean, sometimes I felt like I was walking in the dark, but I think it was... It was, uh, you know, it was humanity and compassion and the, the longing for peace and for healing, for reconciliation that gave me life because otherwise I would have been lost in, in, in this novel itself because there were just too many characters, so many things happening. Uh, and um, and so I, I was really lucky, you know, I want to tell you about the moment I started the book. So, you know, I had been collecting materials for many years and I wanted to use a Vietnamese, story, a Vietnamese family to represent Vietnam and how we were divided by many historical events. But I, I wanted to create that world, but I didn't have, I had no idea how I would find a key to, to enter that world until one day. I was going to kickbox chop self-defense class. <laughs> and that's, I mean, I talk about kickbox chop self-defense in the book and that's me in real life. You know, I learned it in real life in the Philippines. 
So I had I had a master who's who taught me the self defense technique, and I used to go there every Sunday with my husband and with one Vietnamese friend. And we one day we were traveling in the car, and I was working on another story. And I told him, I asked him about his experiences doing the war, and he told me. You know, um, he was uh, young when Hanoi was bombed in 1972, and he started to tell me about the bombings and how his grandma kept him alive, and his parents uh, had been sent to Russia to work. They worked in the Vietnamese embassy in Russia, so my friend stayed alone with the grandma in Hanoi. And she protected him from the bombs. Oh, wow. You know, and growing up, I always wanted to write a story with a grandmother in it because both of my grandmas had died before I was born. So I wanted to have a grandma. So, so that night coming home, I said, you know, my friend's grandma will become my grandmother and I will become him. You know, so I, I, I googled bombing of Hanoi. I listen to the sirens i saw a lot of devastation so i wrote 2000 words that would become the first chapter of the mountain sing that night mm. and i was working on another novel and i felt something so powerful so i wrote to my uh, to my teacher because i was doing a master degree so i told her you know, I felt I have the beginning of something really powerful. So I want to leave the other book and work on this one. So I haven't finished the other book yet because I abandoned it midway. And I worked on the mountains. I worked what on what would become the mountain thing. And I had no idea what where it would go and what would happen to the two characters. But I knew I would give, I would need to give them a big family so that each member could be a witness of a historical event of Vietnam. You know, I I wonder as I'm hearing you uh, navigate uh, from a, a work that you abandoned and to finish after seven years of right in the mountains sing. At what point do you have the confidence to say, okay, I'm on the right track and I'm gonna finish this? I, I, I think from the moment I started writing it, I felt like this was a compelling story. I did not think about publishing it at that time. I just wrote it because I felt it was an important story that I needed to tell. And I think I worked on it for seven years, I said, but I mean, I remember I worked on it until the last possible moment. You know, my editor was like, Quimai, stop working. We are sending it to the printer. I said, no, 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 I'm reading it the last time. Let me correct this comma, this full stop. I mean, because I, uh, I am a perfectionist and also I don't want to waste readers' time. So I wanted to give them the best reading experiences. And I also love working on this book. I mean, it, the mm -hmm. book haunted me, but I think because the characters are so alive. So I, I really enjoyed, you know, polishing the scene polishing the scene, you know, sneaking poetry into it, bring the, the, the lives of Vietnam alive, the language, the proverbs, the scenery, 
the the countryside the nature you know that just so many i wanted to bring out vietnam more than a war you know vietnam is a country yes. full of beautiful nature complex family relations food uh beautiful poetry you know uh you know rich literature so many things i wanted to embed into this book so my editor said you are too greedy you you include you try to include everything so i mean you know like that's me because i grew up in vietnam right and and i felt like you know a lot of the time vietnam appears so so simple from from the western perspective you know we're just a war you know our people are just just so simple and 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 so naive somehow you know so i wanted to bring out vietnam as a place of complexity i have uh two questions uh and they're back to back and they're not related to the story they're more technical questions that i want to hear how they were developed mm -hmm. First is the question of the cover, uh, you know, how that come about. But the other thing that I was, um, I have a digital copy uh, and I was reading the digital copy. And then uh, I think there was a lot of um, energy online and social media when your reader uh, won uh, an award. And I apologize for not remembering her name or the award, but um, I, I was curious. So I, I got the audible version and i listened to the audible version uh, and i wanted to ask you um the process of that but first before we even go into all of these questions is do you uh suggest the first time listening to the book or reading the book you know queen ngo um does a did a fantastic job in narrating the mountain thing some readers have told me that they have enjoy both reading the book and uh, reading and listening to it because for non-Vietnamese readers, they can, you know, know, they know how to pronounce the names and Vietnamese words, but, but I think you, you, you don't need to, I think they complement each other. So, so I can't say, but I think as a reader, I love to have, you know, uh, a copy of the book with me so that I can refer to it as well. But I love audiobooks as well. So, yeah, I yeah, mean, ideally be... you can have both. <laughs> or, or now I was thinking as we're talking three versions, because there's always the book version, which uses the reader's imagination, right? We're, we're really mm. using our imagination. The audio side of it gives me another, because I've read parts of the book. And then I listen to the whole book. So there's a different sensation, but I can only imagine once a movie comes out from the book, that will be a different reality for all of us, right? Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, um, yeah, I hope this will be made into a movie. Uh, and I would love to have a team of Vietnamese people developing the book. I want this book to be authentically Vietnamese, you know? Um, so, so, so let's see, uh, let's see what, what will happen in the future. But you asked me about, um, the, the cover. So, I mean, it took us months to decide on the U S cover. I mean, now the book has been translated into nine languages. So we have many different covers for the hard back and paperback in different editions. So, you know, very different 
very different covers as well. They're all very beautiful and I'm really grateful for, for you know, my publishers who have put so much effort, so much creativity in, you know, in creating all these covers. Uh, personally, you know, I mean, you know, I'm like, I love the US cover because it was the first cover that we developed and so much work went into it. So the background, the mountains, in in the cover is from vietnam you know by a vietnamese photographer and um, the artistic director or, or the cover uh, artist you know found these uh, you know the burnt branches and the yeah the, uh, the golden leaves and and they are very poetic you know the burnt branches represent the destruction of the war and mm. uh, the the yellow the the golden leaves uh, represent, you know, um, the resilience, uh, the courage, the love, you know, that cannot be burned, hmm. that shine through all of these uh, devastation. Can you tease out a little bit about what the next story will be that's that you're working on? The exciting, very exciting news is that uh, my publisher, the same publisher as the Mountain Sing, Awan Win Books, has just acquired world rights from my second novel. That means that, that the my editor read it and loved it and feels really excited about it. So this novel is about uh, Kong Lai Mei, um, Americans in Vietnam uh, who, who were born and abandoned during the Vietnam War. I feel like they are the victims of the Vietnam War and they're the for forgotten victims because they went through incredible things. But included in these novels are also stories about Vietnamese women who had to, you know, work in the sex industry yes. during the Vietnam War because there was an industry that exploited women's bodies at that time. And I, I wanted to go into the humanity of these women because, you know, I think when uh, it's very often that um, fiction about Vietnam mentioned about Vietnamese prostitutes, but these women appear as very stupid, as naive, or as opportunistic, as very simple, right? Right, and 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 I just want to to explore their complexity as human beings and the reason why they had to sell their bodies. And I also, in this second novel, I'm doing a crazy thing. I'm writing also in the viewpoint of a traumatized American helicopter pilot who returns to Vietnam at the current time. So to write him, I had to read a lot of books on helicopters and on veterans' experiences in Vietnam. It helps a lot that I'm I'm friends with with uh, many American veterans. Um, so um, yeah, but it's a challenge, and uh, you know. Um, but I I really I mean this book is also heartbreaking, and the ending shocks me. Oh, the ending when I found out the ending, I'm like. Oh no. oh no! But I mean, it the ending is shocking. Um, so yeah, I don't want to review more, but I'm I want to make this book as good as it can be. So even though my editor says that um, 
it doesn't need a lot of editing and it's just the matter of line editing rather than i don't need to restructure anything right. so uh, but i'm still taking my time in the past um days i've been reading all of the books on admirations you know oral interviews even though it's fictional but i want it to be you know i mean um, um close to the truth yeah. You, you, you know, we as a community, I, I don't know the entire community, but I can speak on my own experience with my immediate family members and friends of mine uh, that are my mom's generation, uh, people are older than me. There's a, a deep fascination to people of Vietnamese uh, Amerasians, uh, the way they look. We, we, mm -hmm. we often will compliment somebody and say, oh, bạn giống người Mỹ Lai. And it's like, used as a compliment but at the same time the ones that were left behind the children of 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 american soldiers that were left behind were completely discriminated against what is the what what is that working what what is that what's the dynamics there um i i think you know um maybe the um, people who receive compliments are those who are white amerasians you know because vietnamese people love white skin right high bridge nose yes. and i mean sharp facial features but i think i i think amerasians are beautiful people right they, they inherit you know features of both uh, the eastern east and the west um but in vietnam because they 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 were considered as children of the enemy, mm. you know, and also black Americans were very much discriminated against. So, uh, you know, my character is a black Americans uh -huh. and he didn't have a chance to, you know, uh, to go to school. He couldn't go to school. And, um, and that impacted a lot of, you know, limited a lot of his um, access to to opportunities so so you know um i mean the things that they experienced how how they were you know the dust they were once they were the dust of life and later on you know vietnamese sold them as as tickets to go to america when right. you know they were allowed to bring their family members to the u.s so i was reading um i'm currently reading a book um by thomas bass and he wrote about the the, the stories of uh, of Americans in Vietnam, and he said they they just so many incredible stories on how you know um, on how Americans were were used as uh, to as something to negotiate between the two governments because at that time you know after the war Vietnam and the U.S. had the trade embargoes so people didn't want to talk with you know directly with each other so so you know Americans were used as, as something to negotiate and and you know before the war i read in the book that uh, the southern vietnamese government did not want uh, to facilitate uh, letting you know Americans to leave vietnam because they wanted Americans to stay in vietnam so that the u.s kept supporting south vietnam I don't know if these are true true stories or not, but I believe so because they come from the, the book and but, but it's just so incredible how you know human beings are caught right. in the in the middle of politics. 
Yeah, it's a uh, it's a very interesting dynamic, and I'm I'm glad you're writing about it because uh, you know it's like again one of those things that need to be explored, and I don't think that a lot of us know much about it. And using a novel to really kind of uh, walk us through this world is is very important. What um, what new literary uh, things are happening in Vietnam right now? I know this is putting you on the spot, but what exciting uh, sort of literary works are coming out of Vietnam uh, from your perspective? I mean, um, for me, the most exciting, because I love historical fiction, um, you know, I see really exciting things uh, coming from from writers who who write about you know uh, taboo topics, who write about you know difficult periods of our past. Uh, for example, Ta Zui An, he just um, he published recently, um, you know, a very brave book about the land reform, and also Nguyen Quang Lap, you know, who published also in Vietnamese uh, a wonderful book. Um, you know, also about the land reform and, and, you know, I mean, it takes a lot of bravery, courage right. for them to, to be able to do that. And in the case of Nguyen Quang Lap, he had to publish it in the U.S. for his book to be smuggled back into Vietnam. And his, the name of his book is called Kien Chuot Pa Roy. You should, you should definitely read it. Um, okay. you know, um, so, so I think, um, in, in Vietnam at the moment, I mean, there are also very exciting um, development in the way in terms of creativity, uh, talent, you know, like um, uh, quite a few, um, um, you know, illustrators have been really successful. Uh, for example, um, one Vietnamese illustrator, she illustrated for a book that became a New York Times bestselling uh, book. Um, you know, um, yeah, um, it's, it's a children's book. So there are many, many, uh, you know, I mean, the, I love I love the artwork that comes out of Vietnam yes. at the moment and how, how it's being embedded into, you know, literary work, you know, in illustrations. And, um, you know, I, I would love for more Vietnamese uh, work to be translated into English at the moment, but we lack translators, uh, you know, and I think the younger generation of Vietnam can certainly try to write in English like me, you know, I mean, I'm one of the first people to to challenge myself with the task of writing in English, but I think, you know, I, I had the chance of learning English very late in my life. Um, I had a chance to learn it when I was in the eighth grade. So I think if I can do it, you know, the younger generation of Vietnam can certainly do it as well. And, and I think we, we, we should not consider, um, we should not let the national border to limit us. You know, I think we, we each of us can write for the international audience. You remind me of a Vietnamese American writer. I mean, the, the thoughts, the way you respond to things. But I know there's no way that you probably identify yourself as, as an American or, I mean, is there a geographic place that you identify with or are you, do you say I am a Vietnamese writer from Vietnam? Yeah, I'm a Vietnamese writer from Vietnam. Um, my only nationality is Vietnamese mm -hmm. and I, I think I, I have to live in different countries now because 
uh, of my husband's job. So I'm temporarily in those places and I consider Vietnam my home. Vietnam is the home of my heart. Vietnam is the home of my thinking. I just want the best for Vietnam and Vietnamese people. Uh, yeah, so... Um, and I apologize it, for that question. It's just simply because it doesn't feel like the words doesn't feel like it's from somebody from Vietnam. I mean, that's why I ask. <laughs> oh, thank you. But, you know, uh, I, I didn't mind that question at all. It was an easy question for me to answer. I think, um, you know, even though I'm Vietnamese, but I consider myself a global citizen as well. You know, I have been able to travel and see the world and learn from many different people. And um, yeah, and, and, I mean, the travels really helped shape my viewpoint and, and my, my values in life. We've talked about it before, but what well, I've, we've talked about some of the places you've been before, but what are some of the most inspiring and favorite places you've been? Oh, one of the most beautiful places must be Bhutan. Hmm. Bhutan, I mean, I worked for... Um, a non-government organization before I documented, uh, you know, stories. Uh, I, I was in charge of communication. So I traveled to the field and, and um, documented success stories of our pro-poor tourism program. So I, I traveled to the mountainous areas in Bhutan and Bhutan is, is a country which is close to the close to the world and, and nature was so much protected and the culture was just so amazing and people was just very happy and it was like a dream dream for me um but I, i've been able you know to travel to so many places in the world and i think one of the most interesting places for me must be the u.s mm. i mean uh, because of the relation with Vietnam and because of the readings I have been able to do there. And I mean, you know, um, I don't know, you know, um, I've cried through my readings in the U.S. Uh, and I've seen, you know, many veterans who attended my readings and children of them who come to me after my readings and who, who shared their, their family histories with me right there, you know, with me. So it's, you know, it's just, I, my wish is to be able to return to the U.S. very soon for my book tour, <laughs> which was canceled because mm. of the pandemic. Yes. So my book was launched right into the pandemic in March 2020. Wow. So I, I spent like months applying for the U.S. visa, you know, and arranging for the tour. So, so I had all of these, uh, I mean, I had readings lined up in like 13 cities. And then we had to cancel it. I mean, I was devastated. devastated. I thought my book would never have a chance, but I mean, it's readers who pick it up and, and, and uplifted my book. And, you know, it might have been a ask, good thing because we had to stay in and read and entertain ourselves and could have been a great thing. No. But I felt so bad about promoting my book at the beginning. Yeah. I felt like, you know, people are dying. People are fighting for their survival. What, 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 I mean, uh, how fair for me to 
promote by poop, you know, uh, 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 how selfish, you know, if I promoted my book. So I felt really bad. So in the beginning, we did not know what to do. So in the beginning, when the book tour was canceled, you know, I just stayed back in the Philippines. And at that, mo at that moment, nobody knew what to do. There were no virtual events or anything. So you know, it was just, I was lost and uh, it was, um, but, but, you know, I must compliment booksellers in the U.S. how quickly they adapted to the situation. Right. So they started, you know, doing virtual events. So from, from the comfort of my home, I talked to reader and, and readers and book clubs everywhere. Can you believe during the past one and a half years, I have done like 200 virtual events, more than 200. So I have talked to book clubs everywhere, you know, everywhere around the world. In in all of your experiences in the book clubs, were there any challenging readers that came from the Vietnamese American community that voiced their sort of discomfort or anything challenging by nature? I think anyone who reads my book will know that I write for humanity and I, I don't take sides and they will understand me as a person. So luckily I haven't encountered any uh, situation like that. Um, but I remember so vividly, you know, the book clubs where we, I mean, it's especially moving to have book clubs with Vietnamese people and, he, and listen to their stories as well. So, you know, um, I have been able to learn a lot on my readers and I'm so grateful to them because my book is a life thanks to them and you know by talking with my reader I have a lot of positive energy you know <laughs> I get energy from conversations I have with people because they give me the fire you know to work hard for the next book being a writer is, is really difficult because you have to be alone with your thoughts you have to yes to move the story forward. And, and, and if you don't have that confidence, you know, you, you can never accomplish something. But I think that there, there is magic in everyday life. And I think readers give you plenty of magic. I mean, I, I, I love to be on Instagram because, you know, to be able to, to see how the readers interact with your book, you know, uh, and how they reflect on their family history, you know, um, I must say that some really incredible things have happened with the mountain thing. Uh, two Vietnamese people reconnected with their parents after reading my book. Wow. That's beautiful. Isn't... Yeah. One, one, one reader lives in London and didn't talk to her father for many years. And she contacted me and she said, after reading The Mountain Sing, she reached out to talk to him. And for the first time, he showed her stories of his past in Vietnam and what he went through. And one reader uh, lives in Los Angeles because her mom didn't raise her. Her mom gave her away to other people when she was growing up. So she always resented her mom. But but she said after reading the mountains thing, she reflected on the actions of Grandma Zilan. Yes. And reached out to her mom. And, you know, and her mom told her how much she loves her. And isn't that incredible? I mean, this more than a dream comes true yes. for me. I can imagine. 
even if you just change the mind and the hearts of just one yes. person, one reader, it means everything. It means everything. Yes. Mai, I really appreciate your time today. Um, is there other things that you wanted to add to our conversation today? Oh, I really want to thank you for this really delightful interview. I mean, we discussed diff difficult topics, but it was easy to talk with you because I feel like you understand my book. You understand me as a writer. So it's just like talking to a good friend. And thank you so much for all the great things you have done for our community. I listened to your interviews with many people, for example, with um, with the uh, Cô Trần Tấu Nga, the person who has been fighting for the victims of Agent Orange, you know, the conversation moved me a lot and it's, you know, it's so important. So for anyone out there who hasn't listened to the story, the conversation with uh, uh, Mrs. Trần Tấu Nga, please um, listen to it and to many other conversations Ken had in the past and it's just been amazing and I want to thank Uh, all my listeners for spending time with us today and thank you for surviving this pandemic and I hope we will overcome it really soon so that we can uh, be together and see each other in person. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chi Mai, and I hope that uh, you reach out to me when um, when the time comes and you know we get another shot at uh, talking about your work. Thank you, Chi. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Yeah, bye. It was great, bye. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran and Javier Proenza. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.